Our first speaker this morning will be Dr. Todd Sabat. Um, Todd Sabat is a medical historian who has published several articles, including many in Montana, the, the magazine of Western history. Thanks, Todd. Um, on Mon Montana's medical past, as along with other articles and books on African American medical history. He teaches at the Brody School of Medicine, East Carolina University, and has served on the organizing committee of the annual Volney Steele Medical History, Medical History of the West Conference at Montana State University since its inception about 20 years ago. Professor Savitt earned a bachelor's degree from Colgate University, attended the University of Rochester School of Medicine, and earned his master's degree and PhD from the University of Virginia. This morning's presentation is about Montana's early women physicians between 1889, the year of Montana statehood, and 1910. Please welcome Dr. Todd Sadek. Thank you. Great to be here. Can you hear me okay? No. No? I am. <laughs> I thought I was. How's that? Better? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and stay close to the mic. Uh, this is not a talk about Yellowstone Park. Um, just a lot of the talks of Yellowstone Park. And I looked at the program and I thought, whoa, uh, this is not. Okay. So, um, Okay, so I thought I had a great topic to deliver a talk on and to perhaps write a, an article about uh, in Montana, the magazine of Western history. Um, this was uh, beginning, the beginning of this talk was a compilation that I made of all the physicians who registered or should have registered for a certificate to practice medicine in Montana between 1889 and 1910. The result, one of the results of that project was this article that I put up here that came out um, a couple of years ago now in Montana, the magazine of Western history. I had found about 1,150 physicians who had or should have registered to practice medicine uh, in the new state of Montana, which was also the time when the Board of Medical Examiners, the BME, was established. Of those approximately 1,150 physicians, 39 of them were women, so a fairly small number. There were a growing number, I'm not going to give a history of women physicians in the U.S., but just to put a little bit of perspective, the late 19th century was a time when there were a growing number of female physicians all across the country. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. We can talk more if anyone is interested. But Montana had its small share, as you'll see, of these uh, women. My idea in this project 
was to compile some statistical and demographic information on this group of 39 women and then tell a few stories, which sounds really good. The thing is, um, for a historian, it's fun to compile lots of information from all kinds of sources, uh, Ancestry.com, newspaper Newspapers.com, Chronicling America, etc. But it only provides a snapshot, not a full biography of the per per persons that you are looking for. So why should anybody care that this Montana woman or that Montana woman settled uh, as a physician, settled in Montana in a certain town, stayed there for a few years, or for entire career, moved to another town perhaps, um, whatever. Or if this Montana woman was married or not married. Does any of that matter? Is that important? So the question I was asking was, what am I trying to point out? What's my idea in singling out one group of Montana medical practitioners from this much larger group that I had drawn a, a larger picture of? Historians are supposed to make points, contribute to knowledge, provide perspectives as well as data. So what was I doing? I don't know. I'm not sure that I have answered that question yet. Um, but I'm hoping that this is a work in progress. And I'm hoping from if you have comments to make either after uh, during the Q&A or any time during the conference, I would appreciate it. I would like to know what interest there is in learning about early women physicians in Montana. So, with that kind of introduction, uh, we will move on. We don't usually question why men move themselves and either immediately or after a little while move their families to early Montana. We know that a lot of people came here for, whoops, oh, yeah, for these reasons, gold, adventure, timber, farming, independence, wide open spaces. Male physicians, I'm sorry, male physicians came for some of these same reasons that I just mentioned, but also because maybe they, where they had been practicing before, their practices had failed. I should interrupt myself and say that in the 19th century, all physicians who came here, most physicians, almost all, came from somewhere else. They weren't born here. Right. Same with women physicians. So uh, making a point that you, is kind of obvious, but good idea to say it. So, some uh, physicians came here because their practices in their previous home state didn't work, or they had licensing problems, uh, or they graduated from an unapproved medical school, one that wasn't well regarded, or they hadn't passed the licensure exam in the state they were practicing in, or they just wanted to leave the past behind and start all over again. 
But what about the women physicians in Montana? Why did they come to the frontier? Did they just come to do good, to be a good physician and take care of sick people? If they were married, was it to work with their physician husband? Or to follow, or perhaps to lead, a non-physician husband? If unmarried, was it because of a sense of adventure? A desire to return to where they were raised, if they grew up here? Or did they come for the same reasons that men came? If they were widowed or divorced, was it to make a new start in a new place? So let's start with the numbers, and then I'll tell some stories about a few of these women. Um, obviously can't talk about all of them, and actually I'll only be able, in the time allotted, to talk about a few. So, I've already said there were 39 of approximately uh, 1,150. If you add in the women physicians who came during territorial days before 1889 and were not still in practice in 1889 when they would have had to register uh, as physicians, that number of 39 jumps by five. That's it. So only five that we can track women physicians were here before 1889. One of those five never practiced on her own. She just helped her physician husband when patients came for urgent care or her husband was out on a call. That was Flora McNulty from Virginia City. The other three or four stayed in Montana anywhere from a few weeks to a couple of years. And those five women, other than Flora McNulty, were very hard to track anything about, which is another reason that I'm concentrating on the uh, 39 that I've uh, mentioned several times now. So, numbers. Of those 39 women, between 1889 and 1910, I did approximately the first 20 years after statehood and after the Board of Medical Examiners that, uh, that went into, uh, when licensure got introduced. Those are the, 20, the first 20 years is what I'm concentrating on. It's sort of arbitrary, but seemed like a, a reasonable number. So of those 39 women during that time period, 19 came and stayed for five years or longer, some for their entire careers. Uh, in those days when homeopathy and allopathy, um, the regular medicine you might say, were keen rivals, 14 of those women were homeopaths and 25 were allopaths. During that same period, only about 7% of all physicians in my database were homeopaths. So a substantially higher percentage of women were homeopaths uh, than the general population of physicians at the time. And part of the reason is that homeopathic medical schools accepted women uh, more readily than allopathic uh, medical schools. Ten of the women 
graduated about a quarter, graduated from all female medical schools. There are all kinds of things that you might be interested in knowing from this, like more about homeopathy, more about women's medical schools. Can't do it today, uh, or at least not right this minute. Um, with regard to the licensure exams that I've, uh, I've mentioned, the Board of Medical Examiners. So with regard to licensure, three of the women were granted certificates in the couple of years before the exams got instituted, um, around 1891 or so. 24 of the women took and passed the exam. 21 passed on the first try, and three passed on the second try. Four failed the exam, three once and one twice, before they left the state. Six registered and didn't show. So they never even got, they, they, either they didn't get to Montana, uh, to, the, to Helena, to take the exam, or they just uh, practiced without it for a little while and hoping they wouldn't get uh, caught. One woman died, I'll say something about her, before she could take the exam, and one I just couldn't find any info about. Where'd they go? Of those 39, and I'm not gonna read all of this, you can see, but I will refer, I have a sheet that many of you God, I don't know if there were enough to go around. Um, they're hard to read because the type's small. I tried to get everything on one page. That's a compilation of a lot of the research I've done. Their names and a lot of the data that you're looking at here, uh, that I've compiled here, the raw data is in there, if you're interested. Um, but don't use it unless you ask. I mean, it's not, I haven't published any of this. Um, I'm sharing. So, uh, three of the women had lived here in Montana during childhood and adolescence, or adolescence, and so were in a sense returning home. And those are the two. Uh, you see uh, one home and one home for Miles City in Butte, and the Billings is because she didn't grow up in Butte. It wasn't home for her, uh, in Billings, I'm sorry. That wasn't home for her, but she was from Montana. So does it matter if they came to Montana unmarried, married, divorced, or widowed? Or does it, does it matter if their marital status changed while they were here? And the answer is sometimes. Sometimes it does matter because unlike most men, when a woman physician changed her marital status at that time, it sometimes changed her medical practice status. That was not true of most male physicians at that time. So here are the numbers. Of the 39, um, 18 came, arrived single, and 17 arrived married. Of the 18 single women, 11 eventually got married, and seven remained single. Of the 17 already married women, two divorced while practicing in Montana, and one divorced after leaving the state. 
Three or four arrived widowed, and one or two arrived divorced. Couldn't determine when the divorce took place, so I uh, wasn't sure. That's why the one or two there. Ten of the women who married during their lifetimes, lifetimes were married to physicians for at least a portion of their lives. Three of the women ceased practice as soon as they got married. So those are the statistics, the raw statistics. Um, and so now what I'm going to try to do in the few minutes I've got left here is to fill out some of the picture of some of these women from the statistics that I've given you. But before I do that, um, an observation of what happened to me as I was doing this research. I read all kinds of interesting facts, obituaries, to get the data, the raw data. And you can see the list here of kinds of information you can get from Ancestry.com or from newspapers or um, other passports, other kinds of sources. But what you can't get is the story behind the facts. There's always more to learn about people. Um, I know I'm stating the obvious, but um, it's, well, you'll see as I go through. So what I'm giving here are snapshots. I put skeletons, impressions, from the sources that I have uh, had available. For example, one Montana female physician about whose life we know a lot more is this lady, Mary, went by Molly Babcock Moore, married, um, her maiden name was Babcock, married, first marriage Moore, and then married in Montana, and her, was known as Dr. Atwater for most of her career here. Um, when I did the initial probing in the database of uh, data sources, I got outlines of her life and scattered incidents as reported in the newspapers. And then I came across uh, Larry Grant, Grana's Pioneer Doctor, Story of a Woman's Work, which is a biography um, novelized in a sense. She puts words into people's mouths, so it's historic. It's not exactly accurate his, historical facts. You can't say what people actually said. But it gave the background uh, for this lady, how, what her previous marriage was like, how she engineered going to medical school, and how she wound up in Montana. She was born in Vermont. She married a guy named Frank Moore in 1881 having met him in Osage, Iowa, when he practiced there, and she was a school teacher there. She assisted him in the office, um, and his dad was also practicing, so it was a father-son medical practice. She decided, I don't know the details, that she wanted to go to medical school, and her husband supposedly encouraged her. Um, so they moved to Chicago, 
where she went to Northwestern University Medical College and graduated in 1887. The couple then moved to Louisiana for a short time and then back to Iowa, to Osage, Iowa. Her husband didn't treat her as an equal. This is from the book Pioneer Doctor. Um, and she, uh, there's not good references to how this information got transmitted down. I think there are stories that got transmitted in the family. Uh, so uh, some of this is directly from the book and perhaps I'm being too trusting. Uh, but she didn't like the way she was uh, being treated like an underling. She had no financial independence even though she was bringing in money into the family and she had a difficult time with her mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> and there are stories in the book about <laughs> their relationship. I don't know, and there's a dog involved. Seems like Montana, there's always a dog involved. <laughs> uh, Anyway, she walked out on him, uh, which was pretty bold and unheard of to do in a small town especially. Um, so she walked out on him, wound up going to Salt Lake City to get away, couldn't get any other kind of job done as a private duty nurse, and so was a private duty nurse there for a while. Through a friend, met a guy who was recruiting a physician for one of the mining towns in Montana, Bannock, uh, and took a job, sight unseen, and wound up in Bannock, Montana. So you can imagine now a woman um, from the east coming out to Montana, uh, to a mining town, and uh, practicing there in Bannock. I guess, I, yeah, there's a picture of um, she practiced uh, there in Bannock and then in Empire, Montana, also mining, until 1893 and then moved to Marysville, north of Helena. And it's there that she met this merchant uh, accountant named Benjamin Atwater, who she married in 1894 and thereafter became Dr. Outwater. She later, the couple then moved to Helena where she wound up practicing for many years. She was deeply involved in women's rights and I'll have to say this is one of the things I haven't yet compiled but a lot of the physicians, women physicians of these 39 were involved in women's causes, suffrage and uh, women's club movement uh, in Montana uh, though, and some of those movements were, of course, national. So, uh, Dr. Atwater was one of the first to recommend the, the founding of a state tuberculosis sanitarium. Um, and so helped found Galen, uh, which you, I'm sure all of you know about, um, was active in the women's suffrage movement and was a leading member of the DAR. She moved to California in the 20s after her husband passed away and died in Berkeley, California in 1941. So that's an example of a story, five minutes, got it. 
of a story where I had a lot of information that was just isolated and was able to put together a bit of a larger story. Here's the opposite of that. I'm going to tell you what I know of the story of Margaret Eleanor Peary and give you a sense of how hard it is to put a story together. You will not have come across her, I doubt, in Montana history because she was only here for a week. <laughs> Dr. Perry was a physician for only six of her seven, 47 years of life, if you look at the chart. She was born in 1856 in Missouri. She lived there at least through 1880 uh, where, and was a teacher for many of those years. I couldn't find anything more or very much more about her until 1897 when she graduated from the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Keokuk, Iowa, again Iowa, at age 41. I don't know what motivated her to change her career at that late stage in her life. From 1897 through 1903, she practiced in several towns in Illinois, Oklahoma, and Missouri. Sadly, the next uh, mention of her is in newspapers uh, in Butte in September of 03. And this is what it said. Miss Margaret E. Peary of Pittsfield, Illinois, uh, after having been in Butte for one week, was taken sick with pleural pneumonia, from which she died this morning. She was a trained nurse Interesting because I teach at a medical school, female medical students still get mistaken as nurses uh, when they walk into the patients' rooms. Uh, so I don't know if this was an error on the uh, newspaper's part or if she really intended to be a trained nurse like Dr. Atwater because that's the only thing she could do to earn money during the first weeks of her stay in Montana and then move into opening, you know, hanging out her shingle. Um, so she was a trained nurse and was busy at her trade until she was taken sick. I don't know what brought her to Montana except that the, she had a cousin um, who lived in Butte, and a, a nephew, I'm sorry, 25-year-old nephew, and it was he, the newspaper said, who took her back home to bury her in Illinois. So maybe that was the draw, but there's very little info about that. Um, there are so many more stories, and I hate that we only have uh, a short time. Uh, Harriet Thayer was a regular doc, I'm sorry, a homeopathic doc, who was the niece of a guy that I wrote an article about, um, Edwin S. Kellogg, who was one of the early abortion physicians in Montana. Um, and if you want to look, I published the art an article about him in um, Montana, the magazine Western History. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, Kellogg was a bit of a character, um, and he, it was Kellogg's wife who, Kellogg's wife's sister had a child, and that's who El Harriet Thayer is. She married, uh, after she got out here, she, uh, Harriet Thayer, she uh, was single, through Kellogg met uh, the guy who became the mayor of Helena for a number of years and went into politics named Frank Edwards. But here's an example. Thayer stopped practicing as soon as she got married. 
and, and was not involved in other causes that we know of. Okay, so conclusion. These are people, I, if I'd had time, but anyway. So I have stories about all the other women, those who practiced with their husbands, those who were born or raised in Montana and then came back, those who signed up for the exam and failed to appear. There was one African-American woman whose husband was a minister at Fort Missoula, probably didn't practice in Montana, but she registered to take the exam, didn't show, but she registered to take the exam. And another woman who railed about uh, having to take an exam, and then when she took it, she failed it. Um, so anyway, so that's a, a kind of little sample of um, what I'm working on. And uh, I welcome your thoughts and comments uh, afterwards. Thanks.